Welcome to the New Birth Baptist Church Pulpit Podcast, a weekly service brought to you from the sanctuary of New Birth Baptist Church in Walnut Cove, North Carolina. We pray these messages and these sermons will be a help to you in your daily walk, and we look forward to you subscribing and coming back every day. May God bless you and have a wonderful day. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews tonight. We'll be back in 1 Corinthians on Sunday, Lord willing, or Lord changing, or whatever you, however how you want to put it. Um, that's one time you can say Lord willing because he's willing that I preach on Sunday. It's a matter of what uh, that, I, that he settles me on because sometimes I can open this Bible and I can stare at it and it's like it's blank pages. And that's when I just have to get myself right because I know the words are there and I know the message is there and I know the truth is there. It's a matter of preparing myself for what needs to be done. And the same goes for you. You can't just open this Bible and start reading it like a novel. Uh, this book is alive. This book is ready to talk to you. It's ready to, to help you. It's ready to turn you around from maybe a bad situation. It's ready to help you up from the depths of, de- of despair and depression. It's ready to put you on a mountaintop and so show you the rejoicing that can take place even in this lost and dying world if we'll just prepare ourselves to do so. So as we open up, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter number 8. And there's really just one verse that I want to focus on, but oh, how much it says. The background surrounding this verse is tremendous. Um, I've always said and I've always loved the book of Hebrews. If anybody listened to my morning message this morning, it was out of the book of Hebrews. And it's a similar message, but of course it's going to be much more in depth. Um, But the the book of Hebrews is really a summary of what was and what is and telling you some what's to come. It summarizes what was in the Old Testament, what was old. I think it's, I guess it's ironic that it's called the Old Testament. What does old mean? It's been there a while. You can say that. But old means that it's, it might be to the point that it's, not used anymore. Some things that are old are just, they're there. Now, I'm not talking about any of you because you're still here for a purpose. I mean, all of you are alive and well today because God has a purpose for you. So don't ever put yourself in the category of useless because you are useful to the Lord in some shape, form, or fashion, and you're you're still here to, to carry that out. But as far as the Old Testament goes, it's what was old, it's what was past, it's what was done earlier. Uh, We talk about the old days, how in the old days it was done this way. Uh, And sometimes I'm not so sure we don't need to go back to some of those old days and old ways because they were much simpler, uh, much more compassionate, and much more useful than some of the things that we do today. But then we have the New Testament. Don't take those two words and those two phrases for granted because the Old Testament has its purpose as does the New Testament. The Old Testament says really what was. The New Testament is telling you what is. And and that's how we need to see this because we have not only a New Testament but a new covenant, a new promise, a new way. And that way in the book of Hebrews is called a better way. 
and we'll discuss some of that tonight because I really want you to just really wrap your arms around how much God has formed this surrounding what he did in the past as a picture or a shadow of what is real today. Let's read in verse number five. Actually, I'll start in verse number one and we'll get down to verse number five. Now of the things which we have spoken. Now, what did he talk about? Well, he was talking about Christ being the high priest in chapter six and seven. If you remember chapter six, we talked about um, way back when we, we talked about not staying with the basics, but moving forward and growing and not staying a baby, but growing up as an adult in the spirit, adult in the scriptures, adult in the word and moving forward. So in the past, he says, now of the things which we have spoken, speaking of Christ, the high priest, we remember the word Melchizedek because Christ is after the order of Melchizedek, a priestly line that had absolutely nothing to do with the tribe of Levi, which is in the Old Testament, set aside by God to be the ones that lead and um, work through the tabernacle. Now are the things which we have spoken. This is the sum. Now that's pretty good right there. He says, I'm getting ready to sum it all up for you. You're like, how in this world is Paul in one little chapter of one little book going to sum it all up for us. Well, that's the power of the Word of God. He says, listen to this. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heaven. He's there, and he's not going anywhere. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man, for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. Now, what does that mean? Well, the high priest that was ordained on this earth also had to take sacrifices in for himself because he wasn't perfect. He was a man just like everybody else. So he had to go through the cleansing process first. So that's what that, 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 that verse means. Verse number four, for if he were on earth... He should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Talking about the high priest. If he were on earth, he wouldn't even be a priest. Verse number five, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. What's a pattern? Anybody sew in here other than my mom and grandma? John, he sews a sock together. Probably sews the wrong end shut. Lucille Ball did that in one of her episodes. She tried to fix one of Ricky's socks and sewed the other wrong end of it up. But anyway, a pattern. All of us have followed a pattern of some sort at, at some time. And a pattern is so that you can do it the right way. Um... I know that my grandfather built, I don't know how many sets of cabinets and houses and buildings and furniture and all kinds of things. And I know that at some point in time, he had a pattern. But it got to the point that that pattern was embedded here. When we would get to the point of starting to build cabinets, I was absolutely astounded. I do more so now thinking back. I mean, we're talking about building a whole kitchen set of cabinets. I'm talking 
I mean, if you bought it today, probably twenty dollars $25,000 worth of, of cabinets, and we're making them out of oak, we're making them out of birch, we're making them out of maple, we're making, I mean, all these wonderful woods, sometimes walnut. Even, any of you know um, Jerry Rutledge, the attorney? We built his whole office um, made out of cedar. I mean, old, that's old stuff, modern-day stuff. But we would get into the shop, we would get into the shop, and guess what we would do? We'd start, and I'm looking for the pattern. He didn't have one. Now, I'm sure earlier on he had one, but I am, I'm, I'm sitting here going, how does he remember this? I mean, measurement after measurement after measurement after measurement, and he's not looking at anything. He's just going to town. He's, he's, he's cutting, he's measuring, and he's jointing, and he's sanding, and he's, and he's giving me stuff to do, and then all of a sudden, we start putting this together, and it fits with no pattern. But there had to be a pattern somewhere. And a lot of us need to get a pattern in our head that we don't have to look at. And that's the pattern that God has set forth for who Christ is and what he has done for us. Because you and I, we see things in this world. We see things in this life. And I don't know, you ever had something happen to you and you go, aha, now I understand. What you were seeing beforehand was a shadow. You weren't seeing the real thing. You were beginning to put pieces together and like the pattern comes together. You would see bits and pieces of things in your life and all of a sudden one day they came together. That's God with a pattern in heaven putting your life together. Now, are we going to follow his pattern or not? That's what it's really left up to for us because he has had a pattern all along. He has had a method that he has followed from day one. He has not changed the design. He has not changed the measurements. He has not changed the purpose. He has not changed the materials. From the beginning, he had the pattern laid out. In fact, I'm just thinking of a verse. I think it's in Ephesians. Um, having made known, verse number uh, 9 of chapter 1, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That's a pattern. That's a pattern of your salvation. That's a pattern of God laying it out, that his counsel was, was formed before the foundation of the world. I, I, Max Lucado has a, a great piece that you can read, and he's talking about all this stuff that's going on in the, in the mind of the Lord. I want you to think about that for a minute. Now, again, nothing ever has to occur to him. So I, I, this is not one of those making it understandable to us. But what happened 
before the foundation of the world. I mean, he had to have been putting things in motion all along. I mean, I know that he can just speak and it happens. But there had to be something there. Then all of a sudden, it came to that moment in time when it, he said, let there be light. At that moment, everything started that we know today. Everything was put into motion. The pattern was being unfolded. Now, you and I, if we would just follow that pattern, how much easier would this be? may not feel good all the time, but we would know that the pattern is there and that we're following after it. Now, Moses, he was given a pattern. Exodus chapter 26. I want you to see what this verse is referring to. See how far back we got to go? Where did we go to? We're going to the Old Testament where the foundation of this really came into existence. Actually, I'm going back to, I think, 25 is even earlier. Exodus 25. This is where another profound thing happened. But this was already formed. This was part of the pattern all along. And it, this is after a pattern that's where? It's in heaven. It's with God. Listen to what it says in verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giving, giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skin dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood, oil for the, the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them according to all that I showed thee. What? After the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. God gave them a very intricate pattern. Every detail. And then we get into the measurements of it. I'm not going to, there's no, you want to start reading tonight? Start reading in chapter 25 and keep reading and you will watch how detailed God is in the building of this tabernacle, the building of the mercy seat, the building of the Ark of the Covenant, where things had to be placed inside the, the inner court, the outer court, the most holy court, where things were. They all had a purpose. They all had a place. And that hasn't changed. Now, what was all of that about? How many times have you heard me talk about the tabernacle? More than probably you're getting to say, okay, here we go, this tabernacle again. We ought to know this thing by heart by now. But the tabernacle was a picture, was a type. It was a pattern of something greater that was coming. And it was really just a shadow of what was, what was already there. Don't you understand that? A shadow cannot exist without something casting that shadow. So if it says that the tabernacle was a shadow of something, then what cast the shadow? Now, you and I, when I pull, when I when you stand up, you can tell that I'm a human by my shadow. You can tell most things by their shadow. And as the sun moves, I mean we move, then the sun sits still, but it's really moving too. I mean the whole universe is in motion. 
It's just that we're revolving around the sun. When we move around that sun, our shadow moves. It gets short. It gets longer. Sometimes you can't see your shadow because the sun is not there. But most of the time during the day, you stand in a light, you're going to cast a shadow. In fact, you can't really see it, but if you had a big light shining this way, I'd be there'd be a shadow behind me now. You can see me on the wall back here. See, hey, make hand puppets and do all kinds. I mean, but the shadow, the shadow is being cast by something else. What was that something else? God, all the way through the Old Testament, is painting a picture to the nation of Israel, painting a picture to all the world that this tabernacle is representative of something else. Keep in mind that the tabernacle was built of really basic stuff, skins of animals. So something had to die. You see in the picture so far? I mean, different colors, all colors in the Bible represent something, and they represent something of somebody. And then every aspect of the, of the tabernacle, going in and cleaning and, and washing and eating and praying and all of these things, all of them represented what has to be done by us because we're, we're dirty. And God cannot accept anything dirty in heaven. It says that sin shall not, iniquity shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Transgression shall not, shall not be present. It even goes, goes down a list of things that people do. If they continue in those things, they will not inherit the kingdom. So we, we're having to go through this tabernacle. We're having to go through this structure. We're having to go through this pattern of activity to eventually reach a place where we see the real thing. Now, with time, that tabernacle changed. It went from a, a very basic structure to a temple. And inside that temple was the synagogue. And then the temples were destroyed and cut down and built back up. And now we're really waiting for another temple. We're waiting for another structure. But the temple, the tabernacle changed. You know who the tabernacle is or what the tabernacle is now? What was the purpose of the tabernacle? To have a dwelling place for God. Do you know what the New Testament says the tabernacle is now? Us. So this building, this structure, where it had to had every little all the purposes inside of it, the, the bread, the candles, the, the incense, the, the altar of incense, the, the brazen laver, the doors, the way it was all of it represent what you and I have to place our faith and trust in to get to the holiest of holies. The way that we get to the holiest of holies, the way we get to the, the place where God is, the way we get there is we go through the tabernacle. We go through the inner court. We go through the holiest of holies. We go through the veil. But who, who do all those things represent? Every aspect of that tabernacle represents Christ. So he's the one casting the shadow. So, I mean, I wish I could do it, but hold this book up, and it casts a shadow, it would look like Jesus. It wouldn't look like a book. So that's, the how, that's how God gives us this information, how God sets the stage for us. It says in verse 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. You and I today, we are representing 
the Savior of this world when we go out the doors of this church. Who we are should be a reflection or a picture of who Christ is in our life. We ought to now take what, we, what he's given us and reflect it out there. Take it out there that people may see it because it says, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. And then it says, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern. Let's look at verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, can you imagine if we were still having to go through the rituals and the pattern and the works of the tabernacle? I mean, we'd have to pack this building up when God said move. And then we would have to go. We'd be following that pillar and that, and that cloud and that fire. Now, that, that would be amazing to see. But can you imagine if we had to go through that? If that was perfect, then God would have left it alone. But God says, no. He said, that was by works. He said, that was by me telling you to do certain things. And even at the end of it, he says, no matter what the priests did, no matter what the Levites did, no matter what the, the people did, no matter how many bulls they killed, no matter how many goats they killed, no matter how much blood was shed, out of all that work, it was never enough. Never enough. God is showing us through that first picture that you and I can't work hard enough. You and I can't sacrifice enough. You and I can't give enough because he started off the, right off the pattern was started by the people giving, giving all of the details, giving all of the materials to build the tabernacle that they could meet with God. And so they got busy. It says they, right there, they obeyed Moses and boy, they started building. And they built this structure and they, of course, they liked it and God blessed it and he met with them and he showed up in it and they went through this ritual all the time. The high priest did all that he could do. The high priest was sacrificing. He was sprinkling. He was doing all that he could do. But when you get over to, to chapter number nine, you will see in verse number six, another sum of the Old Testament. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. He was doing right. He was doing what God asked him to do. But unto the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. And he had to do it how often? Every year. Now, during the day, they were constantly sacrificing Remember all those offerings we talked about? They had to bring those daily and all throughout the day, different times of day. So they were killing and slaughtering animals faster than you and I could even imagine a butcher would do today. But they were not doing it to eat. They were doing it to give it back to God, trying to obtain his forgiveness by giving a sacrifice. But no matter what, at the end of the day, they had to start all over again. It wasn't enough. It says in verse 8, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was what? A figure 
for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that what could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. I'm the, I, folks, I'm glad that we're in that time of reformation and regeneration that we don't have to go through that tabernacle anymore. Look at verse 11. Two of the most powerful words that you will ever read. But Christ. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in how often? Entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works. See there? Christ came to change it from works to grace, from law to grace, from sentence of death to mercy. Everything that Christ came and did was better than what it was before. All of it. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. Christ had to die. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood, for when Moses had spoken every precept, every law, that's what that means, everything, everything that they had to do, every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled the blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Listen to this. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Where is the ultimate tabernacle erected today? In heaven. You and I are going to lay eyes on that one of these days. We're going to lay hands on that one of these days. And guess who's standing there right now? He's ready. He's ready. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Hallelujah. There is the gospel. There is the old replaced by the new. There is the old way ushering in the new way. There is the old way being a picture of what was to come, a shadow of only a shadow 
of what he was going to do. Just a picture. But folks, now we can see the real thing. We can lay our eyes spiritually right now on the real thing. Christ is just as real at this moment in time as he was when he was before the foundation of the world. Christ didn't have to be created. Christ didn't come into existence. Now, he was incarnated in flesh that he may die the, the sinner's death. But he always has been since the foundation of the world. The pattern was already set. God saw it pleasurable to him to create man. Now think about that. I, I'm not going to say that God was lonely. And I'm not going to try to answer the question, why did God create us? Other than he said he, we were created for his pleasure. But in the process of doing that, man made mistakes. Because we're not God. We never will be God. Even after we are graduated, understand that, we will still never be God. We will have a perfect body. We'll have a perfect mind. We'll have a perfect soul. We'll have a perfect way. We'll have perfect understanding. But we're still not God. Even after we become perfect, we're still not God. He is greater than us and always will be, always has been. This world cannot wrap their mind around that because this world has created themselves as the God of their own destiny, as the God of their own way, as the God of their own beliefs. That's why we're in the shape that we're in. People have taken their eyes off the pattern that God has established before the foundation of the world. What have they done? They have, they have taken what we would say, I don't have anything good, and I don't even have a pair of scissors. But if I were to draw you a pattern, I'm going to be creative here. I'm going to draw you a pattern. If we change this pattern, it'll never be the same. If we change this, That's not right. That's definitely not right. We have to keep the pattern the same. And when we take our scissors, it has to be cut out the same way. For those of you that are on the phone, I drew a cross. And that's God's pattern for the salvation of man. That's God's pattern for you and I to be redeemed for the sins of our, of our life and for our sin nature. And we cannot undo that pattern. But man, what have they tried to do? And I'm not even going to do it. I don't, I, I, I don't dare draw an X through this. But that's what the world has done. This doesn't count anymore. This doesn't matter anymore. They don't care about this anymore. But let me tell you something. Where did we say the pattern originated? Heaven. We can't change it. No matter how much we try to undo it, no matter how many times we try to take this book and start, start taking out words and start striking through scriptures and maybe even say the whole book of Daniel doesn't belong or Revelation is a fairy tale. I mean, every time the world tries to do that, hey, my, my Bible also says that forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled where? In heaven. They can rip it apart down here. They can tear it apart physically. But thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It ain't going to change. Man can try his absolute best to undo 
everything that God has set in motion, but he can't do it. They may think they can, and they're boasting about how, how well they are doing now, how good they're doing now, how that they have brought the Bible up to modern-day times, and how they have much better knowledge now of what God really intended to be what his word says. But all they have done is changed the pattern. And once you change that pattern, if you want to dress, and mama, I give her a, a pattern for a shirt, you're not going to get what you were after. You can't change the pattern and get what you want. You can't do it. Oh, you can do it. But it ain't going to be the truth. It ain't going to be what was intended. It ain't going to be what you originally wanted. But nobody ever said that everything that God has done is what we want. Nobody ever said that. The world is trying to say that God is a terrible God because of all the punishment that he's bestowed upon people in the past. But you know what? All he did was execute judgment based off of justice and the truth and the law. He told them what not to do. He's told us what not to do. He's told us what to do, how to do it, when to do it. If we'll just follow the pattern, that seems so simplistic, don't it? So simplistic. But if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm not going to get ahead of my, my 1 Corinthian messages. There's a lot of verses in that chapter, 50, some 60 maybe, because I know 55 and 56 are very important ones. But 1 Corinthians 15 lays out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I use it in funerals all the time because at the end of it, it says, O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy... O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? I think that's it. I've got all turned upside down standing up here trying to quote it. But it's about Christ overcoming and keeping to the pattern. That for his appointed unto men once to die, we just read... But what's after that? But after this, the judgment. I mean, that verse explains the day that we're living in right now. This moment that we're living, it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this is over, God has still got a pattern to follow. And he's going to execute judgment. At the judgment seat of Christ or at the great white throne judgment, there are no other patterns. There are no other chairs, there are no other seats, and there is no other judge but Christ. That's the pattern. The world doesn't like that pattern. The world doesn't like God's Word. So as you and I go out this door, as we face tomorrow, as we face all that we're going to face and have to do all that we're going to do, and have to stand with what we're going to stand for, we 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 got to get it out of our head that this is absolutely a necessity. This is because we want to. This is because it's, it's in our heart. In fact, I was going to read, um, where was that at? Right here it is, verse number 10. For this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me my people. It's no longer written on a tablet hung up on a wall. It's no longer scribbled in, in books that the scribes can read it in the temple and in the synagogue. Where is it written now? It's written on you. 
It's inscribed on you. The Word of God is for you, inside of you, and should live inside of you. So when we go out of this building and out into this world and we face what's coming tomorrow, we've got to let this out. This has to be a, this is how, you know, Stephen, I don't know if he was smiling while he was being stoned, but do you remember what he was doing? In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that to close tonight. Because what an example for us in the day that we're living. We've got to get to the right place. Verse numbers, uh, chapter number seven, eight, maybe. Let's see. Verse number, chapter number 7, verse number 53, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened. He was seeing the pattern. And the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. You know who that is, don't you? Paul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's you and I in the day that we're living. We're going to be a bunch of Stevens. Now, whether we will die for our faith or not, I don't know. But we have got to learn to look up. We've got to learn to get on our knees. Learn to see what God wants us to see. In the midst of Stephen being stoned and destroyed, he looked up and saw the pattern in heaven. He saw Jesus the ultimate tabernacle, the ultimate mediator, the ultimate savior, the ultimate man, the ultimate everything. He saw God's fullness of his plan standing in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And at the end, he committed himself to them. What did he also do? Stephen is a picture of Christ. What did Stephen do that sounds so familiar that Christ said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Folks, we're going to have to do that in these days too. How, often, how awesome would it be for us to be up against terrible times? And we're being persecuted as the church. We're being persecuted as the Christian. I'm being persecuted for what I'm preaching and maybe even going to jail for it. If I would sit in jail and say, Father, forgive them, lay not to them because of their sin, for they know not what they do. How awesome would it be for all of us to have the courage, the strength, and the power of the Holy Ghost living inside of us that our enemy would look at us in the face of us, taking all the shame, taking all the persecution, and looking them right in the eye and say, I forgive you. That's unnatural. So 
for it to be that unnatural, it means we got to have a supernatural power to overcome it. But for us to be able to stand and do what we got to do in the last days that we're living, it has got to be powered 100% by the Holy Ghost. Has to be. And we've got to learn to call on him now while, it, while we're still good. You're still here sitting in a church service with nobody telling you you can't. One of these days, folks, the pattern is going to open up in full glory. He's going to step out again. And the next step in the pattern of God's redemptive plan is going to be put into motion. There's going to be a lot of wailing and crying and gnashing of teeth because many, many, many are going to be cast into the lake of fire with death and hell and the devil because they would not believe. That's not popular preaching. Everybody wants to say God is love. God loves everybody. He does. But he's also set some rules. He has set a pattern. He has set a plan in motion. We can't change it. Father, we love you tonight. Take this message and apply it to our hearts that our confidence would increase knowing that we're not the only ones that have been here. People have been persecuted and killed. Oh, and so many other things for their, for their faith. But nothing compares to what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. The pain, the agony that he felt, not just physically, but spiritually, when he looked up and he said, Why, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Lord, I know that at that moment, the price was ultimately paid. Separation from God, separation from the Father, separation from your glory. Father, we give thanks for that tonight, and I ask you once again, as we move ahead and push forward, that we not forget the pattern, that we stick to the right stuff, that we look up into heaven and see the plan in motion and kneel on our knees be forgiving. Father, we love you tonight. Take all that we've said and done tonight to glorify you that somebody would come to the knowledge of salvation and we'll give you all the praise for it's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. You got a song for us, John? Page 137.